First Peter chapter two, verse thirteen through seventeen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, uh, for friends like Jen and Rusty, and we pray again that you would bless them and uh, that you would show them your love. And now as we turn to your word, as we, uh, as we read your word and as we um, talk and, 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 and pull things out of it, God, would you, uh, would you be here? Would you help us to see exactly what you have for us this morning? Would you take away every distraction that we have, every, every th- thing that we have in our own hearts and minds that can distract us from you? And, and ultimately, God, just show yourself mighty. Over the, over the gods that we currently have, over the, over the stress, over the anxiety, over the distractions, God. Would you let us sit here with you? In this we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. However, Our nature is one of selfishness and pride in its sin, and that can mean one of two things. Either pride tells us I don't have to live subject to anyone, I'm awesome, and if anyone ever tries to tell me what to do, if I ever have to conform to another person's desires, then I'm out. Pride puts us up on a pedestal, and anyone who tries to change us is wrong and unfair. It's all about us and how awesome we are. The other side of that is that I'm never good enough so I deserve to be stepped all over, that I'm uh, to do nothing but subject myself to everyone. If anyone tells me what to do, I cave. If I have to conform to another person's desires, then I'm gonna make sure that I do that. This, however, is also all about us. It's just about how awesome we we are not. Both of these are sin, because both of these are glorifying only ourselves, taking our eyes off of our chief end of glorifying God. This text is a help for us. This text puts us in a right frame of mind back to the way that we are designed to live by God. We are called by God in this text to live as people who are free and to be subject and to submit to human institutions, literally free servants, free slaves. How does that work? Because that's a little confusing. How in the world do we do this? Two commands that we see in our text. The first is be subject And the second is live as servants. Be subject and live as servants. These two commands are gonna help keep us in our God-given, God-glorifying design. So let's look at the first one. If you look back to verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So just as a reminder, this is a letter written to the Christians who are exiled from Rome. 
They were kicked out because Emperor Nero had the idea to build these grand buildings of this new Rome. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to set a fire. However, people didn't like that. For some reason, you know, their city's being burned. They didn't like it. Um, People get upset and he's like, well, I don't want to take the blame for this. So he dumps blame onto Christians. At that point, Christians were forced out by Roman officials, which is what the text describes as these governors. And they're spread all over the land. And this is Peter's letter to them. Stand firm in the true grace of God as you are exiled in a foreign land. Remember the mercy of God in sending Jesus Christ as a, price, as a precious sacrifice. And now, Peter directs their attention to their enemy. The Roman emperor, the Roman officials and governors, and he calls them to be subject to them. Literally, place yourselves in an orderly manner under the authority and rule of another. Christians, as exiles here on earth, are to place ourselves under the authority of every human institution. This means parents, police, bosses, leaders, spouses, teachers, the emperor and governors, or for us in America, the president and government officials. Whatever human institution has been established, everything from a simple request by a spouse to water the plants, to the speed limit, to a tax law, we as Christians are to fall in place under the authority of humans. But what about the sinful ones? Like that's a, that's a hard one. Do we still have to do that? Do we have an out there? No. No matter how much we may not like a person or a president or a government official or anyone in any sort of authority position, no matter how much, even if they have sinned against us, our call is to submit to them. Just think of these Christians. Like Peter names the men responsible for the situation that they're in. Emperor Nero and his government officials. Submit to them. Now where do we draw the line? Because there has to be a line. There has to be a line of, of okay, this isn't right here. I'm not supposed to uh, submit to this one. There are five major examples in the Bible that illustrate civil disobedience um, which is just not being subject to authority that God delighted in. Exodus 1, um, 15 through 18, Hebrew midwives disobeyed the law to murder infant Hebrew boys as they were commanded, and God delighted in them. Daniel 6, 9 through 7, King Darius issues a decree to pray only to him. Daniel disobeys the law, and God is glorified. Acts 4 and 5, Peter and John are commanded not to preach about Jesus, but they said, we cannot but speak of the good news of the gospel. Daniel 3, 8 through 12, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed King Nebuchadnezzar's law and would not worship him, and God was glorified. And then lastly, in Revelation 13, 13, we are told to resist the mark of the beast. So when? When do we submit and when do we rebel? First, notice that over the course of thousands of recorded years in history, in the Bible, there are only five instances that please God. It's a rarity. It is rare that that's going to happen, but the distinction is clear. In all of these, there was a direct and specific conflict between God's law and man's law. That's the breaking point. This means that we can not like our authority. We can not care about the things that they say or do. They can even directly and blatantly sin against us. But unless we are asked to act outside of the bounds of God's law, we are to submit. In 1939, Hitler began making Germans confess Germany as their divine allegiance. 
essentially worshiped Germany over everything. Everybody pretty much for the most part caved, but one church put out a public confession of faith that said the following. We repudiate the false teaching that the church can and must recognize yet other happenings and powers, personalities and truths as divine revelation alongside this one word of God. Essentially, we profess Christ and Christ alone. This was an act of civil disobedience. They did not subject themselves to the authorities here of Hitler and it was the right thing to do. The Bible does not teach that Germans should have been submissive to Hitler and his evil rule um, to worship Germany. We are instructed to disobey all evil, whether it is Hitler or the atrocities of the Jim Crow laws or any other evil that cause us to oppose biblical teaching. Knowing there's still gonna be consequences. The pastor of the church who put out the public confession was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was put in prison for this rebellion and he was ultimately hanged for doing so. So there will always be consequences still, but this is a quote from the prison doctor who watched his death unfold. Through the half-open door, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. And therein lies the real and actual truth of our submission and our subjection to every human institution. It's not because of them. It's not because of who they are or who they are not. It's not because of what they can do or what they cannot do. It has nothing to do with them at all. This is why the text reads in the following, in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. We are submitting to God and submitting to human, sinfully led, sinful people in these institutions. Why? Romans 13, one says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. There are no human institutions that God has not sovereignly allowed for our good, and unless they are asking us to act in a way that violates God's word, we are disobeying God and not submitting to them. That's why verse 15 says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We are called to submit to these foolish people. That's the doing good here because it puts to silence their ignorant statements about God and God's people. Christians, we stand on a platform of credibility that either validates our faith or denies it. And it's seen by our doing good by our subjection to the laws of the world. And going back to verse 12, uh, these unbelievers may see our good deeds and they may glorify God because of it. Men and women may be in heaven because uh, the first encounter with Jesus they had was our submission to God in this way. Because honestly, it doesn't make sense, it shouldn't. Is this you? Is God glorified by your subjection to human institutions? 
Point two, live as servants. If you look at verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And here we see another just tough part of the text because it reads, live as free servants, that paradoxical statement. And yeah, it's, it's paradoxical, but both, thing, both parts of that are true. Martin Luther said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. But then he also says, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. The key to this paradox is God. Freed by God from slavery to all human institutions and sent by God freely and submissively into these institutions. Why? Like, why is this the case? Why did God set it up this way? Uh, look at Matthew 17. The collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter, the guy who wrote this letter, and said, does your teacher, Jesus, not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Jesus is talking here about those who believe, those who have been set free by Jesus Christ. However, verse 27, however, not to give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The reason that Jesus calls them to submit to the tax, even though they are free, is because it's glorifying to God when we do not offend those who are in unbelief. Why? 1 Corinthians 1, 1031 says this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever action, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And again in 1 Corinthians 10, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. The reason we submit to horrible leaders in every human institution, even though they may sin against us, is bigger than our ego or our feelings. That God may be glorified and that they may be saved. It would be horrible if these Christians that Peter's writing to, if they're up in arms over the sin against them because God has made them free to be sinned against and to show love instead. Believer, God has made you free to be sinned against and to show love and honor and submission in return, even if they do not deserve it, especially if they do not deserve it. This is exactly why what comes next comes next in verse 17. Honor everyone. Literally give them the prize of honor, of being made in the honorable image of God. The baker, the Starbucks girl, the guy in traffic, the murderer, the rapist. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, those in the Christian faith with you. Love them. Nothing gives more offense to unbelievers than looking at Christians and seeing our fighting. 
Love the annoying. Love those not like you. Love those who are sinful. Love those who sin in ways that you don't understand. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. In all of these, uh, the way that we do any of this is only by our reverence and awe of God. How do we honor any hard person to honor? How do we love the annoying brotherhood? We do so out of respect of the God who crafted them with his hands. And lastly, just to wrap it all up with a bow, Peter brings up Nero again, the man who caused all of this mess that they're in. I'm supposed to honor that man? He says everyone at the beginning, which is funny. And then just in case, he says, honor the emperor. Just in case you put everyone in one camp and the emperor in a different camp, he brings him up again. For us, honor those who have sinned against you directly. Why? Why do we honor everyone? Why do we love the brotherhood? Why do we fear God? Why do we honor the emperor or the president or whoever? Why are we subject? Why are, to, why are we to be subject to, um, to every human institution? Why are we to live as free servants of God for exactly everyone in all of those interactions? For the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of those whom I believe. We are to live as free servants and as we do, we will glorify God over ourselves. Because you see, it's always putting ourselves under submission. As free people, we submit and this is a work that glorifies our God in heaven and this is a lot to process. This, this is a lot, this is heavy. Uh, like I know at least for me, I thought of at least 30 different interactions just uh, in the past month um, where I haven't honored a person that was made in the image of God. So where's our rest? Like I know for a fact that I do this, I fail at this daily. And sometimes I can feel my pride rising up and I don't even want to fight it. And then sometimes I just want to be pitied. Sometimes I don't want to give glory God, glory to God. Where's our hope? We have to look to Jesus in this text. Because the truth of the text is that Jesus subjected himself, placed himself under the authority of the tax collectors and the governors and the emperor. Jesus lived as a free servant of God and he didn't use his freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead, he used his freedom to cover those who were evil. Jesus honored everyone, including the men and women who spat in his face, ripped his beard from his chin, whipped him with hooks that would tear the skin out of his back. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and didn't skip over Judas who would betray him. Jesus submitted himself to human men as God who could stop every one of these acts against him. Jesus sat with the adulterous woman. Jesus touched and healed the lepers. Jesus dined with sinners and Jesus even honored his emperor, Pontius Pilate. Jesus loved the brotherhood so much that he was willing to go to the cross and die for them. Jesus submitted himself to God in becoming the sacrifice for all who would believe to give them eternal life. John 8 says this. So Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then Romans 6 says, but now, having been freed from sin and now enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. The bad news of the gospel is that a work like this is impossible to do perfectly and because of that impossibility, it's impossible to be in relationship with the father. The slave to sin does not remain in the house forever, but instead he will go and be punished for his sin for eternity. But the good news of the gospel is that we have been given free access to the father by the work of the son. And if we believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, then a work like this is now possible because of the freedom that we now live in. Jesus was perfect, and now by believing in Jesus, Christians are now covered in that perfection and righteousness of Jesus before God. And so now we, like sons and daughters, are free to be with the Father. Our eternal standing with the Father is not based on how well we do this on how perfectly Jesus did it on our behalf. And so now, with the power of freedom that we have within us, the Holy Spirit that now dwells within believers will remind us of the freedom that we have. It will give us the power to live as free servants, subjecting ourselves to everyone. We can live subject to everyone. We can honor everyone. We can do all of this for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of those who may believe, all because of the Son who made us free. Uh, As we take communion together as a family, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ by faith, then you're welcome to the table to partake as a free son or daughter. If you're an unbeliever or if you're in unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat during this time because you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. If you're in unrepentant sin, take this time to turn from your sin again today. You have been made free by the grace of Jesus Christ. Turn to this freedom once again. If you're an unbeliever, you are not free. You are still enslaved to sin and that slavery will not be enough at the judgment seat. Be freed from the chains of sin and live in joyful submission to God today. Believe in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf to save you and purchase you from the master of sin and turn from those sins to believe in Jesus today. If you're here and you think you are saved, but you're worried because this is a hard work. Maybe I've done this sometimes. Maybe I just haven't ever done this, but I'm worried about it. Lift up your head. That worry is a work of the Holy Spirit within you. Dead people do not worry about whether or not they're glorifying God. Lean more into the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. For all of us, here is our prayer. Father, we admit and confess that we need the body and blood of Jesus to cover our sin of living as though our lives were meant to be submitted to. Would you, by your grace, show us the freedom we have in Christ that we may submit to and honor everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you're ready, take your time to pray through whatever it is God has given you, and then when you're ready, grab the elements at the back of the room and bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them together here in a minute.
one day we will all be around the table of heaven and we will be in complete and total freedom from sin and yet totally and completely submitted to the God of the universe as we are in his presence. And we will honor each other, love each other, submit to each other, and our free servanthood will glorify God forever. What we do now here is a shadow of what is to come. Where we will be glorifying the one who made a way for us to be there. Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. All because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel, that we remember you, that we remember the the blood of Jesus Christ, that we remember the body of Jesus Christ, and it is not in any of our own power or anything about us. God, would you help us to rest in you this morning? Would you help us to, to feel the freedom that you have given us by Jesus Christ? God, let our hearts be freed from sin this morning. Remind us of the true grace of God that we may sing, that we may cry out and worship back to our Father to say thank you. God, would you never let us forget the grace of God? Would you never let us forget the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a work that only you can do, but it's a work that we need. Would you help us to rest in that this morning? We thank you for the freedom. We thank you for helping us ultimately to submit to freedom. In this, God, we give you the glory and the thanks and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.